0: What it really means is, I've never done this before. And I want people to be aware of that. Like, I'm not pretending, I know that I'm still young, but I'm not pretending whatsoever that I know what I'm doing. But you, you have to dig your well before you're thirsty. You can't just launch and expect things to, to go well. You have to be preparing for that launch and getting pre subscriptions well in advance of that. Don't just like give a couple of teaser tips, just give everything away. There is no downside to giving away every bit of knowledge
1: you've ever accrued. Hello and welcome back to IndieBytes, the podcast where I bring you stories from fellow indie hackers in a 15 minute episode. Today, I'm joined by Blake Amal, who's the CMO of Copy.ai and the founder of Float, a course creator based on Notion. This is the first episode in a series of conversations I recorded about five months ago, before I ran into the mental health roadblocks. And with most intelligent, hard-working indie hackers, a lot can happen in five months, which is exactly what's happened with Blake. At the time we recorded this, Blake had less than 10k followers on Twitter, and since then it's rocketed to over 55,000, which is just incredible growth. In this episode, we talk about his journey to becoming the CMO at copy.ai, why he's chosen to be a CMO in public, and to that point, why building in public is so effective. Now, this meteoric growth in Blake's Twitter audience has been in part due to his fantastic, thoughtful tweets and threads, but it's also how he's been using Illo to analyze his tweets to find out what's performing and what's not. That's why I'm pumped that Dan Rowden, an indie hacker that started Illo, is sponsoring this episode of IndieBytes illo helps you easily see which tweets get more impressions likes profile clicks and more so that you can grow your twitter audience illo's beautiful grass and useful metrics have helped me double my twitter audience in less than four months head to illo.so and use the code indiebytes 27 to get 25 percent off your illo subscription for life there are only 10 codes available so check it out before they all go and that code is in the show notes this episode kicks off with me explaining a little bit about blake's backstory and how he got to be cmo at copy.ai eight years ago blake was living in the south of france and when he moved back to the us he had no idea what he wanted to do but as he spoke french he landed a gig in the french team of an seo firm this was his first parade into marketing and he didn't really intend to stay in marketing. Fast forward seven years of working for agencies, freelancing, and in-house, he stumbled across a little tool called Copy.ai. At the time, he was happy in his role, but he sent the Copy.ai founder a DM on Twitter asking if they needed help with any marketing. After a few back and forth and a grand total of about three Zoom calls, Blake is now CMO at Copy.ai. Blake, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? Yeah, terrific. Blake, you've been cmo at copy.ai for a few weeks now how are you finding it how's it been going it's been amazing
0: i've never worked at a startup before i've never worked at a company before where i actually use the tool myself first and foremost like that alone is crazy fun because i can almost be my own customer and that helps a ton with the marketing side makes it a lot easier when i know how i would want things to be
1: love to hear it and tell me a little bit more about copy.ai and what it does
0: so using artificial intelligence it lets you put in certain inputs so if you're trying to build a a facebook ad and you're writing copy for that or you're trying to build out a landing page and you need some headline ideas or even if you're just trying to change your tone and look at different ways of saying things you basically go into the tool put in a little description of what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to write about and then through the power of what's called gpt3 which is an ai-powered tool basically spits out a ton of different recommendations that are longer than what you put in and different, in different tones, in different uh, formats, whether it's for a landing page headline or whatever it may be, you can totally choose that.
1: Yeah, I I gave it a little test run a few weeks ago and pretty shocked and amazed at how well it worked. Not, Not just for giving me my final copy, but maybe just giving me some ideas of copy for ads that I want to write or landing page headline titles that I might not have thought of before. And instead of me just trying to come up with it from scratch, what I loved about your tweet talking about getting the CMO role at copy is just how open you were about it. You did the pros and cons of various different aspects of it. Some of your doubts, some of your thoughts, Mm -hmm. your Twitter bio is being a CMO in public. Blake, what does that mean? What does it mean being a CMO in public and what do you plan to do with that sort of idea?
0: What it really means is I've never done this before. And I want people to be aware of that. I'm not pretending, I know that I'm still young, but I'm not pretending whatsoever that I know what I'm doing. I'm figuring it out on the fly just like everybody else and I'm going to try my best to document that so that other people can do a similar thing and have a leg up on where I'm at right now. When I'm looking at blogs on how to be a CMO and stuff like that, there's (laughs) not a lot of good content out there that's really gonna help me. And a lot of the CMOs that I've worked with over the course of my years, whether it's an agency or in-house, whatever, are more traditional. I've never really talked face to face with a CMO that is still in their twenties. And so for me, there is no playbook and I have to build that. And, and because copy AI is a build in public company, it kind of makes sense for me to lay out the playbook pros, cons, everything in between step-by-step along the way. And that's what I'm trying to do
1: yeah so many people if they go into a job want to pretend that they know exactly what they're doing but you're being open about it. you're being honest and people like that people respect that and certainly people can learn from it let's talk a little bit about marketing marketing is scary to a lot of founders a lot of founders won't do marketing they'll just build their thing and wonder mm-hmm. why it's being launched to crickets or they, they just won't know where to start they would find it hard where should they start with their marketing blake uh just put a
0: camera on themselves building it and not even worry about marketing that's honestly where they should start You got to do whatever's easiest for you. And so if you're a coder and you're building something, screenshot everything that you do and just put it out there and show people what you're building, that might not get traction immediately. There's this whole notion, like if you build in public, everybody's going to flock to you. Eventually, they probably will, honestly, if you just keep doing it up front. That's not usually the case. It might still be crickets, but you, you have to dig your well before you're thirsty. You can't just launch and Expect things to, to go. Well, you have to be preparing for that launch and getting pre subscriptions well in advance of that And if you're able to do that then your your launch can be fine but even before that like you have to start building an audience in some way and That for most people doesn't usually mean trying to create content everywhere like Gary V would you know he, He's kind of <laughs> relented on this a little bit But he used to be like no you you can't just be on one you have to be everywhere and that works when you have a team of 19 people creating stuff for you doesn't really work that well when you don't know what you're doing yourself and it's just you. So whatever's easiest for you, if you're an engineer, you're building something cool and you also are kind of good at writing, start a blog, just document what you're doing. Take some of the main points of the blog and create Twitter threads out of them. Then that's it. Do just do that. If you are more charismatic and you're cool, like sharing your screen and doing walkthroughs or you're cool showing your face and doing talking head stuff, explaining the technology and why it's important. Do that. Share it to Instagram or to YouTube and just do that. I think it's really important to focus up front and do what's easy. Do what you could actually build a muscle on instead of trying to be everywhere. That's the big mistake that I think people are making is when you say like you gotta market your product, what you hear is, you I have to be everywhere or it's gonna flop. When in reality, if you just focused on one thing and did it every single day, you'd probably build an audience of a couple hundred people before you launch and that's usually enough.
1: Why do you think building in public has been becoming one so popular and two why does it work so well
0: i think it's popular because it works well building in public inherently brings in really supportive kind people into your life so those are two huge benefits most of the people that talk about building in public online are also really engaging and supportive and kind and we need that right now for sure with where the world's at and where we're all at personally we need, we just want to be around nicer people. And this, it's a community that inherently is that because you're showing everything that you're doing. You're also engaging with everything that other people are doing similarly that they're building. And there's a lot of honest feedback going back and forth, but there's almost just like this narrative of, we, we have to support each other. we have to be nice and uplift each other. And so that's definitely a draw for why you should be a part of that community because it will actually add some positivity
1: to your timeline instead of the usual negativity which Mm -hmm. you can get a lot is there anyone you can think of that comes to mind who's doing a good job at the moment building in public Uh, i know you mentioned copy.ai grew Mm -hmm. through being so public and open but is there anyone else that you've been watching thinking yeah they're doing a good job at that yeah, we do we do a really good
0: job of that, and that's like a big part of our company culture. On deck does a good job of this for the most part. For anybody that knows KP on Twitter, he's the big build in public person. Moz originally, back in the day when Rand Fishkin was at Moz, they were totally build in public. They were super transparent with their employees and other people. It's just that the the distribution channels of Twitter and stuff weren't mature enough yet to. Back then, it was all Twitter was just for sharing blog links. That was it in in SEO. Now. That still exists for a lot of the old school traditional SEO people, but if Moz were doing it today, they'd be one of these companies with Rand Fishkin that's just like, yeah, here's what we're making. Here are how many pe- here's how many people we've hired. Here's how many people we've had to fire. Here's where we think we're going to go uh, in terms of revenue this year. They were doing that a long
1: time before. You're big on Twitter, Blake. You're very active there. How, how can people make the most out of Twitter?
0: It's a big question. first and foremost, I I always say that the top two things you can do is be interesting and then give stuff away for free. But being interesting is easier said than done. When I say interesting, it's, I'm not saying like charismatic necessarily, that does help. But I'm more saying, where do you have specific knowledge that your whole career is basically founded upon? Where do you have real systems or frameworks in place that you could just share that stuff and you would? it's so good that you could actually sell it, but you're gonna give it away for free anyway. If, if you can be interesting in that way by either being funny being charismatic being like overly kind and engaging with other people's stuff if you can be have really specific knowledge that people come to you for a good example of this is one of the many pomplianos joe pompliano who <laughs> <laughs> came on twitter and yeah okay he got retweets and stuff from his older brother and so that helped him grow super quick but if you really look at his growth It's mostly because he's amazing at taking two different topics and making them one niche. So people ask like, how do I find my niche? What Joe did was he said, I really like sports and I really like business. And so he took those two spheres and made them one and they never separate. So all of his threads are about the business of sports. And you'll hear about like crazy athletic contracts that were signed and the implications of those things and how it relates to the financial market or business in general. And like, it's crazy and stuff that I've, I'm interested in, but never would have thought of myself. So like you can be interesting by just combining a couple of different interests and making them one thing. That's one way to, to be interesting. The other part of this is give stuff away for free. So once you have that specific knowledge, don't just like give a couple teaser tips, just give everything away. There is no downside to giving away every bit of knowledge you've ever accrued. You're not going to lose out on any money from doing this because if people really value what you're saying, they will pay you to implement that knowledge for them if they're lazy enough which most of them are. So you'll actually make more money by giving away everything that you've ever learned than you ever would if you try to withhold a little and sell the last bit of information.
1: Uh, have you seen how Sean Puri of the My First Million Pod has grown his Twitter in the last few months? i like 20k yeah, like, to 100k all through but, threads. Did do, do you think the threads are going to get uh, or do you think there's too many of them? Do you think it'll be a point where people will just be desensitized to them like with any marketing mm. idea that becomes mainstream people just get bored of, bored of them.
0: Yeah, what you're really trying to say is our marketers going to ruin this because that's what <laughs> we do for everything. And yes, uh, it's yeah, if it's not already happened then it will. Because Twitter threads is an actual it's not an actual feature, it's a format. Mm. So it'll be around and it won't technically go extinct or anything like that, but it'll have less impact over time and even now I think they're overrated in general. If you have a really great one like I've had one great thread ever, and it's the one where I talk about quitting my job and joining Copy AI. That is the only thread I've ever had that ever got any traction. I have not built my following on that whatsoever, and I have tried. For whatever reason, I have these really creative ideas for threads, and it just doesn't click with people. And that's kind of a bummer because you put a ton of work into them. So I think that already they're a little bit overrated unless you have a really clear purpose for doing it and are committed to doing them like every single day which is very hard. That's basically like writing a full blog every single day. Yeah.
1: Anyway, Blake, we're coming towards the end of our slot and I, I end every episode on three recommendations, a book people should read, a podcast people should listen to, and an indie hacker or an entrepreneur they should follow. What are your recommendations? All right, for a book, you probably get a lot of self-help books. So I'm not gonna yeah. give
0: you that today. I'm gonna give you a fiction and I think everybody should read Lord of the Flies. That's the first
1: person that's given me a fiction book and I'm all for it. Lord of the Flies, perfect.
0: For the podcast, obviously I have to plug my own, How I Built My Audience. I think you should listen to that one. For somebody else's podcast, though, I really like Creator Lab with Bilal Zaidi. An indie hacker. Oh, man, there's so many of them. My guy Baraket on Twitter is is the greatest indie hacker out there. He's 12 years old and he's better than everybody.
1: Yeah, it's impressive. It is seriously impressive. (laughs)
0: Yeah, he, he makes me feel so insecure because at 12 years old, I was, <laughs> I was not doing what he was doing.
1: <laughs> anyway, Blake, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'll leave links to where people can find you, your podcast, your Twitter in the show notes. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for letting me on. Thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode of IndieBytes. I appreciate you sticking around over a turbulent few months for me. I've got some amazing guests in the pipeline for you, which I'll be releasing over the next few weeks, such as Noah Bragg, Baird Hall, and Andy Cloak, among others. But I need you to do a favor to keep me accountable. I'm planning to release these episodes every Wednesday, and I want to stick to it. But if you don't see an episode in your feed on a Wednesday, I want you to tweet me. My handle is at Jay McKinman, the link is in the show notes. And I'll donate £10 to a charity of your choice to each person that calls me out on not uploading the episode. If you do see an episode though, which you will, just send me a tweet saying hi. That's all from me. See you next week.